You're listening to the January 28th edition of The Close-Up, the Film Society of Lincoln Center's weekly podcast series. This is Brian Brooks, Managing Editor of FilmLink.com. And this is Eugene Hernandez, Deputy Director of the Film Society. On this edition of The Close-Up, we're featuring a conversation with filmmakers, actors, and brothers Jay and Mark Duplass, who recently debuted their new HBO series, Togetherness. Togetherness, which debuted last month, blends laughter and pathos. It follows four adults nearing 40 who find themselves suddenly living under the same roof. Togetherness stars Mark Duplass, Melanie Linsky, Steve Zissis, and Amanda Peet. Set in the Los Angeles neighborhood of Eagle Rock, the foursome engage in a tragically comedic struggle to follow their personal dreams while still remaining good friends, siblings, and spouses to each other. I spoke with Jay and Mark Duplass recently about filmmaking and their current move into television during our free talks series here at the Film Society. That ongoing program is sponsored by HBO. The Duplass brothers' feature breakthrough came in 2005 with their ultra-low-budget comedy The Puffy Chair, which introduced a new name in indie film at Sundance that year. Since then, Jay and Mark have gone on to direct other films together, including Baghead, Cyrus, and Jeff Who Lives at Home. They have also both worked on the other side of the camera. Mark in films like Hump Day, Your Sister's Sister, and the Oscar-winning Zero Dark Thirty, and Jay most recently in the Golden Globe-winning Amazon series Transparent. The Duplasses and I had an energetic conversation with a packed audience here at the Film Society. The crowd were shown two episodes of their new show, Togetherness, before we sat down for our chat. Let's go now to that conversation. Thank you, guys. <laughs> lovely clapping. Make us feel good. Is this good. the best screening room in America this right now? This is like, crazy. I think, the second or biggest or second biggest. biggest I just, thing. I, I yeah. swear to God, as I was coming out, I just had a moment where I felt like I was in like a specialty movie about like artists who finally get their day and they come to the screening and the climax of the film and everyone's clapping for them. I, mm-hmm. I could hear the music in my head and I was like, we've made it. Yeah. <laughs> We're here. <laughs> Mark's testicles have been shown at the Lincoln Center. <laughs> Who's got, who wants a selfie with my balls, guys? Come on. Let's get it going. Right there. Classing it up in here. Well, episode two is definitely handcuffs. Yes, that was the yes. title. Yes, it was handcuffs. So I definitely, well, we definitely want to talk about togetherness and also your filmmaking. Um, but I do want to give a, a little shout out because the gentleman to my immediate right here just had a momentous Sunday. Um, <laughs> Can I give another shout out for one of his other gigs, Transparent and C- Golden Globe? Can I give another shout out to my co-star, Judith Light? She's here to support me, guys. Judith Light, the most beautiful woman on television. My mama. You're my mother. And there's some weird sexual tension going on, guys. You're going to tell everybody. 
Season two. <laughs> it's been discussed. <laughs> well, I, uh, episode one I just saw for the first time. Um, I absolutely love the scene with the toilet papering and the, and the Strawberry Hill. That just like completely brought me back to the suburbs. You know, I don't think that New York City kids really get the thrill of toilet papering and no. No. <laughs> so let's, let's go, let's dive into it together. Uh, what, what brought it on? What's, this, what's the backstory to this and how did we get to this, this, this moment? Uh, well, uh, Mark and I have a lot of conversations because we work together and we're best friends and we're brothers. And, you know, all of our films uh, evolve from private conversations that we have when we're at airport staring at people and wondering uh, why that man is behaving that way towards that woman and mysteries unfold. Uh, and in this particular case, um, we're in our late 30s and we have young children and we were getting our asses kicked by tiny little babies, despite the fact that you know we had beautiful families and good careers and everyone thought we were wonderful, we were suffering. Uh, and uh, a lot of our friends who had kids were going through the same thing. And then our other friends who had not gotten traction in their lives uh, romantically or professionally uh, were also suffering in a very hilarious way. Uh, and we were each sort of jealous of the other people's lives. And we were sort of, seemed to be like a critical mass of energy around just how pathetic and funny all of our lives were in that moment. And the stories kept coming in. I mean, it was just a giant soup of all the people that we hang out with. And we just realized this is, this is not only a powerful idea, but it's a show. It's something that can kind of go on forever. So like the, the jealous of like the, the children aspect and then also like kind of having like a second youthfulness with, with, with friends who like move in or like what, was, what were some of the things that were going on? It's just that, that standard grass is greener mentality of just like the parents see, you know, these people who don't have jobs and have no responsibilities and they're just like, God, I want your fucking life so bad. You I can just kill. go to a movie? Can I just sit down and watch a DVD? That sounds incredible, you know? <laughs> oh my God. I, you can sit and eat a sandwich and finish it. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And you, you don't have to wipe anybody's ass while you're eating? Like nobody's ass. This is incredible. Um, and then, you know, uh, on the flip side, you know, you've got, uh, these people haven't found their traction yet saying like, look, man, you've got everything you want. You've got all this stuff. How, how is it possible that you are not happy? Uh, and that strange elusive quest for, for happiness was interesting to us. And, and I guess in particular, you know, we didn't really want this to be like, um, like an upper middle class malaise show with like whiny people looking for the happiness. We, what we loved about these characters is that, uh, they try really hard. They self-activate. They're not Michelle and Brett are not the couple who have lost each other and don't know how to communicate. They actually like are actively trying to figure this thing out, and they just keep failing. And that's kind of how we feel in our in our lives. And and uh, we felt like we hadn't quite seen that. Um, so we just thought, you know, let's try it. Yeah, and in particular, you know, we've seen a couple of our friends go through this terrifying thing that many people have been through. Uh, which is um, when you have two people who love each other and they have a family and they don't know how to connect anymore. In particular, this couple has been through six years of the fugue state of being, uh, you know, totally subservient to tiny little beings. And you wake up and you're like, who am I? Who are you? What is going on? And to, and to witness, you know, the the sort of parting of ways and to fight really hard, but to not know how to do it. It's kind of like 
our worst nightmare. So to sort of explore that and to s try, and, you know, the challenge of exploring it in a funny way, it just, I don't know. That's I think that's key. It's like we're, we were obsessed with John Cassavetes growing up and, and that process and that exploration of those themes. Um, he's a very serious man. Um, and we, we were just like, well, what if we, what if we see, you know, some of the more funny stuff? Cause that's kind of how this stuff happens to us is we, s we talk about what's happening. We cringe a little bit. Sometimes we cry and then we start giggling and the giggling aspect is like really what this show is all about. Well, the people who come along with you, with you on this journey, are of course, M Melanie Linsky, Amanda Pete and Steve Zissis, right? Um, was Steve someone that you guys knew bef before? Some, I'd read something about he was from high school? Or? Steve yeah. was our best friend in high school, and Steve was a god in our high school. He, this is very autobiographical for him. Uh, it, well, he wasn't in Jesus Christ Superstar. He was in Godspell. Yes. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's lay it out there. Everything else is the same. Uh, we, everyone who knew him thought he would be the next Tom Hanks or the next president in the United States or pull a Ronald Reagan and do both. I mean, literally... I mean, every year of our we lives, did. we felt that way. Every year of our lives, people would be like, how's it going? What's going on with Steve? You know, just people wanted to know. And, you know, like so many actors in L.A., you know, he he languished auditioning. And, and uh, you know, he got chubby. He got slightly bald. And, you know, we feel like it's been like part of our life's mission to like create a platform for this magical being to be shown to the world because he's he's our goddamn Greek muse <laughs> that has been fueling our art for a long, long time, and now it's time for him to be recognized, and it's happening. Amanda Pete is going around the country bragging about what an acting titan he is. Awesome. <laughs> so how did how did it all come about with the connection with HBO and getting it actually in production going? Well, we, you know, we kind of personally realized that this was going to be a TV show rather than a movie because we've been filmmakers forever and we just think in terms of movies. But once we realized the story could continue forever and ever, we said, well, this should be a TV show. And um, HBO was one of the first places after they saw our first movie, The Puffy Chair, that were like, we love what you guys do. We're interested in working with you. We were always scared to move into television because you hear these tales of how it takes up your whole life. And and we like doing a lot of things, you know, Um and then I guess what happened was we just realized like this idea is right for it. And it was sort of it. It was interesting. We didn't like take it out and pitch it. It was like an organic conversation that started with HBO, who we become friends with. And we said, you know, well, we might be interested in doing this show. And they were really great about honestly helping us creatively craft the thing to exist better in the long form TV format because we we're pretty ignorant of that. We hadn't made any TV before. So it was a v an incredibly healthy collaboration. And I'm not just saying that because one of them is in the back of the room right now. <laughs> like, you know, when people give you money, it's no secret. They want you to do things to your art that you really don't want to do to it. And this was like unbelievable, like tons of money, lots of support, great creative advice. And then they throw billboards up in Times Square to promote your show when it comes out. It really it feels like the early 70s in Hollywood, like that boon of filmmakers who got to like benefit from that. And they also said, oh, you want to cast your balding Greek friend? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> From high school? Sure. Go ahead. Well, I mean, much, I mean, just to go with that, I mean, much has been said about this being a golden age of television. I mean, obviously, there have been a lot, a lot of your contemporaries um, who have been on the festival circuit with you with some of your earlier, with your earlier projects have also segued over into television. I mean, did, was that some, did that kind of also, oops, was that me? Um, 
did that also kind of ca catch your attention or maybe make you a little bit more open to doing um, your art in this form? Um, I don't know if it necessarily attracted us to it um, because we're so unbelievably picky and specific about what we're willing to do and where it can exist. By the time Mark and I have like beat an idea up, it's just we're ready to go and we're ready to do it. But that being said, being in the TV world, both with Transparent and with this show, it is, it's like what you thought filmmaking would be when you were a child and you heard these stories. It's profoundly, it's like stunning. It's like you literally can't believe that people are coming to your set and trying to help you make the best thing that you can make. They're coming to help creators. They're not looking for a specific product. They just want to make the best thing. And it's, it's, it's kind of mind-blowing. Yeah, it's interesting because we kind of, you know, we came up in the micro-budget world of making movies, and then we moved into, like, kind of more of uh, what's called the specialty film world, like the Fox Searchlight and the Focus movies and stuff like that. And, and we made a couple of movies in that realm, and, 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 and it's hard because they're scared to lose money there, you know, and as well they should. That business is, is dwindling. So Jay and I had kind of convinced ourselves that we were just going to play in this tiny little corner of the sandbox, which was smaller budget or micro budget movies, and that would be where we live. And I guess what is happening in TV right now has opened up a whole other place for us to be. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine also there isn't sort of that immediate pressure of the box office, which... Um, that you know, I love that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's nice, and it, there's there's also uh, creative advantages that we've realized. For instance, you know, Mark and I tell stories about the inner worlds of people, and our whole our landscapes, our faces, and what we're starting to realize is this form is so wonderfully suited to our verite style in the sense that like we don't have to close emotional storylines in an artificial way at the end of 97 minutes. We have to We've never made a movie that's over 90 minutes. Let's You're right. It. Let's face it. 92. <laughs> yeah. With credits. Uh, with credits. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> it's, it's so true. I mean, but, you know, you open and close plot lines, but the emotional storylines continue to evolve. And then the other side of the coin is the subtlety that you can achieve once you've spent hours and hours with these people. You know, when you, when you have sort of the be the beginning of the end of your marriage, for instance, it's probably not a big fight down by the river that's well lit. You know what I mean? It's like you wake up one morning and your husband has not made your green smoothie for you and you realize that this is the beginning of the end. And for us, the opportunity to have our audience in on those secrets and the mysteries of these people, that's, our, that's been our dream the whole time. Uh, so we're almost like existentially frightened by how appropriate this form is to what we've always been trying to do. So you're not really adapting this, like a, the, the script for a 30 minute episode? I mean, well, I, I wouldn't say it's specifically yeah. that. It, it's just, uh, I think in particular, you know, when you make a movie, is 30 minutes of setting up, 30 minutes of really relishing in the interpersonal dynamics of what's going on in the characters for us, and 30 minutes of closing out. When you're making a TV show, you set the thing up, and then you just get to live in that amazing middle section forever. And we love that space so much. And we get to spill that out and spill that out. And then when we make season two, we don't even have to set the shit up anymore. So we can put, <laughs> steal those 30 minutes, too. So we, it's really, it's really um, I guess, just in some ways more suited to the things we naturally like to show and what we feel like we have to offer. There's eight episodes in season one, is it yes. correct? And, you got, and you're done with that 
those first yes. date, I would imagine. Yes, yes we course. finished in August. We, so would how, not, we would not be here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that. she wouldn't be here. <laughs> so talk about maybe your collaborative process with making this, 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 this show. Well, yeah. we tried our best to become showrunners and to become television producers and people. We failed miserably. Uh, we, you know, for better or for worse, we wrote and directed almost all of the episodes. We, t we had some experimentation, but what we've learned about ourselves is that we um, are two brothers who come out of caves and make something and then run back into the caves. Uh, and we don't really want to be bosses and we don't really want to run a show. We want to like make art with our hands and with our friends and with people that we love and have those emotional experiences and connections. And, um, so we, we're going to continue writing and directing all of the episodes and just doing it the way that we've done it since, you know, we are making tiny little movies that went to Sundance. And I think if you look at a show like, you know, like the newsroom or something where like those scripts, um, they have something to say. The dialogue is like very specific to the cadence, and there's not a there's not a ton of like exploration going on there. I can see how you could delegate the authority to someone else to do that, but ours is this organic, flowing process where we're discovering things in the moment. So it it really just makes sense. We're gonna be there every day anyway. We might as well just handcraft this thing. Yeah, let's face it. Our stuff is low concept. It's super <laughs> low concept. No, it isn't. It's no concept. It's no, there's, there is no con. I mean, basically, in someone else's hands, this is everyone loves Raymond. You know what I mean? Four faces in a house. <laughs> do, 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 do. Everybody, Bang. they got stuck under one roof, you guys. Um, we didn't even realize that that's the plot we were writing until people started talking about it. We're like, oh, yeah, we wrote a fairly. Well, that know, sounds like a shitty CBS sitcom now, doesn't it? Oh, boy. Oh, I hope people show up. <laughs> it's an art film, dude. How did you tell your friends that when you were when you were just embarking on this? What? How did you describe it? Uh, it's it's the worst thing in the world to describe. Um, but we've gotten we've gotten something down in press, which we try to fake. I mean, this is a, this is a thing, a whole other thing. When you go and do press, you really have to like try to fake like the idea is coming to you as you're saying it, as if you have not answered this 175,000 times. And so you also try and fake like you had this articulated in your mind before you started making it, as yeah. opposed to just spazzing out yeah. all over a piece of paper in your friend. So ask me, like, you know, like, at its core, what is togetherness about? Uh-oh. <laughs> We're going to do this. We're going to show them how it happens. Y'all ready to see some acting? <laughs> me and Brian Brooks. Here we go. <laughs> Um, four friends who've probably known each other for a long well four friends no, okay, no, no. I was going to make you do it I said you ask me the question and then I'll give it to this them this man is sweating so much yeah, right yeah, now yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't going to make you oh, that you was, just asked the question that would have been so mean you just ask the question and I'll show you what we, what we have to okay, do okay Brian back to one just yeah. say the question okay wait give no me my deal. instructions again wait direct me Let's yeah, see. Yeah. Let's see so this you, process. All you, all you <laughs> have to do is, in your own words, and uh, and when you f when you feel ready, um, a ask me what 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 I feel is is at the core of togetherness. Okay. Mark Duplass. Okay, we're, ro we're rolling. Sorry, we weren't rolling yet. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Take seventeen. Scene E three. Marker. B camera. Marker. Action. Mark, what is at the core of togetherness? You know, it's a it's a good question. I don't know. I feel like it's Jay and I. You know, when you're when you're 
the show's really about when you're trying to be a good person, um, a good friend, a good spouse, a good child, but at the same time, really maintain your personal dreams and your magic. That seems like an endless arena for conflict and something that made us cry and made us laugh and we thought it might be appropriate for a television show. Bam. All the acting is in press rooms. The show is easy. And you, and you die a little bit inside every time you have to say that. Just a little bit. You know what's even worse? Is your brother has to watch you do it. We've seen things, people. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let me take you back a little further then. What was at the core of the puffy chair, which was the first thing I ever saw from you guys yeah. back at Sundance in 2000. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that you should ask that, Brian. <laughs> um, for real, uh, w that's a great connection because at the time we were in our 20s, we were living in Brooklyn. We had been with our girlfriends for a long time and we were having a critical mass moment like we had discussed with this show where everyone that we knew was having that moment where it's like, oh, I've been in the first long-term relationship of my life. We've been together for four or five years. We, we either got to get married or break up. Like and what? if we're not going to get married, we should break up now because I don't want to waste my good years on this motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> oh, and by the way, on Monday, getting married seems real obvious. On Tuesday, get this fucker out of my house. <laughs> get out of my house. That doesn't change, by the way. Uh, but yeah, it, it definitely, um, there's great similarities. You know, this show, we've, I mean, that, that movie was incredibly personal to us. I mean, we... It was everything that we had to offer at the time, not just being in that intense moment in a relationship, but being a brother and being so close and that relationship almost being threatening to your romantic relationship. I mean, Mark and I had to experience somewhat of a breakup of our own so that we could like have a soulmate that wasn't each other. Um, I mean, that's a lot of togetherness, what that is, honestly, as you watch the show develop is like... Um, and I had never thought about that before. You said that. Um, <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> this is terrible. Yeah. Um, but that, it, it, there's the the Alex and Brett relationship is all is is pretty much me and Jay. And people talk about that a lot, where they're like, oh, "It's so cool how you decided to like not have a standard bromance where they make fun of each other, but they're like actually emotionally supportive and they love each other." And and how did you come up with that? And we're just like, "Oh, that's just like how we talk to each other. We didn't realize we were doing <laughs> that's normal, anything. right? That's normal." It's, um, but yeah, there's something to that about like, um, you, you'll, you'll see as the show develops, like, uh, you know, Alex and, and Brett are in many ways the most connected, uh, out of anybody in the whole show. And it's not so easy for the people around them. Um, just also going back a little further, what did you, did you both have like mentors or someone you sort of looked to, um, who was a, maybe a filmmaker or maybe someone who wasn't necessarily a filmmaker. We who, wanted who, mentors so bad. Oh my God. Um, our early films were terrible and very unprophetic of what we would eventually do. We were obsessed with the Coen brothers and trying to be them and failed miserably at it. I think the biggest influence on us was, um, other than HBO in the 80s, um, was when we I went to college in Austin, Texas in 1991 and Richard Linklater's Slacker was playing at the Midnight Theater and Mark would come visit me because I was lonely and, and we would hang out on the weekends and go see that movie and we would see Rick Linklater in town, and he was a guy that looked like us. 
and we would he see was the like this ex kind of mediocre athlete with holes in his t-shirt and jeans and tennis shoes on. And we're yeah. like, wait, he makes movies? I thought you had to have a beret and smoke a cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> I thought your last name had to be Coppola. Yeah. I did not know that you could just do it. You can just make movies. And that really woke us up. And I mean, in a weird way, we were blessed and lucky to be, I guess, uh, brought into the DIY center, epicenter of filmmaking because Robert Rodriguez was one year behind and they had both made $20,000 films and they didn't know anybody and they used people that looked normal and stuff. And I mean, Slacker was an amazing thing at that time because the, the movie was continuing in life. Like we'd walk around town and those people were existing and continuing to have those weird conversations. And it was so true and so unexaggerated uh, that it, it, I think it profoundly influenced us. Yeah, and it really gave us the courage to say like, we don't need anything. We can just pick up a move, pick up a camera and, and make a movie. And and we did that and, and the movies were terrible. We didn't realize we, we had to find something to say first. Um, but uh, after you know a good eight years of trying, we built up enough desperation um, uh, to actually have something to say. And then cut to this last Sunday, you're all at the Golden Globes together. Then this guy that would walk around Austin who looked like an ex Chuck. Standing on stage with yeah. Judith Light. <laughs> so I want to get to your questions. Um, uh, well, let's get just let's, let's open it up. Um, we're gonna actually send around a microphone. Who has them? Actually, okay, good. So. Like I, as I mentioned earlier, um, when I introduced uh, tonight's event, we're using this for a podcast. So by asking a question, you agree to be on the podcast. Uh, and please wait for the microphone. So everybody questions. just got real, real questioning of their <laughs> questions. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> All right, question number one. Hey. Um, hey. So <laughs> how you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks. The good. show's great. Yeah, good. Um, <laughs> Um, so I notice in the show, um, like a lot of your work lives and like how he's an actor and you're working with uh, on the show, the sound engineer stuff. Um, was it always going to be based in L.A. or were there other thoughts of different locations? Yeah, um, it's interesting to talk about locations with us because um, I'm going to say something a little bit controversial here. Uh, locations don't really mean that much to us in our movies. We feel like this show could kind of be anywhere. Um, we did set the show uh, in Los Angeles, and part of the reason of that was we're on the east side of town where you kind of have one foot in Hollywood and one foot out, um, which is kind of how Jay and I experience the industry. Um, so that has some pertinence to the story. But the, the real truth of it is uh, I'm the last person who's going to stand up here and be like, L.A. is the fifth character in the movie. <laughs> Like, we really, um, we know the neighborhood. We felt like we could uh, do it justice. Um, but beyond that, like, you know, it's really more about the inner life of the characters. Is it kind of Los Feliz Echo Park or something like that? It's set in Eagle Rock, which is Eagle like Rock, physically right. the final eastern neighborhood before you hit Pasadena. So it, 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 it is known comedically as the place where hipsters go to have children or also as the place where hipsters go to die. <laughs> It, it, some people consider that the same thing. There's <laughs> 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 a question right there on the second row. Right here, yeah. What kind of attracted me to the show, besides that I'm a fan of both of you, is the title is 
kind of like catchy and simple and short. What what was like the process of doing it? Did you guys like really focus on a good solid title or it just kind of come to you? Well, we we always bang ideas around with each other. Um, I don't know. It's just we just talk about a lot of titles, and then when the word togetherness came up, we the lights the light sort of like sparkled in Mark's eyes and my eyes, and the the sort of double-edged sword of like how wonderful it is to create that little nest, and then when you get the nest, you're like, get me the fuck out of this nest <laughs> now. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It just and it was nice and subtle, and I don't know. It seemed to capture all the things. Um, Hi. Right. Thank you. That was super funny. I Thanks. Good question. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> no, my question is... He um, wasn't kidding. You're done. <laughs> <laughs> no, my question's about um, kind of improvising, because I know at least for you, Mark, on the league, that was almost all improvised, or the, the, it was less c connected to a script, and how did that play out on the set of togetherness, and how much of that was as you wrote it? Yeah, as with all the the stuff that Jay and I write and direct, uh, we start from a fully fleshed out standard script. Um, but the actors are encouraged to move around and meander within uh, the plots and and sort of re-say whatever they feel like doesn't feel natural to them. Um, and so, uh, what's interesting is that while you're shooting, it almost feels like whoa, we're going all over the place. And then what ends up here is remarkably very similar to the script. It's kind of like um, if you want your kids to like be happy and feel free and stay close to home, you say, you can run away anytime you want. Um, and then they kind of stay around. And, and I think there's also this, this, this sense of like um, anything can happen. Um, and so the actors kind of like stay on their toes a little bit. And there's just a little extra leaning in that happens when everybody knows, oh shit, something might be coming. They can't practice in front of the mirror as much. And it helps keep that, maybe just subconscious, but a little sense of spontaneity. Uh, I think for someone on um, Hi, thank you guys so much for being here. Um, there's been a lot of talk in the uh, television industry about you know uh, ratings and how to like look at DVR and all that kind of stuff. HBO doesn't necessarily subscribe to that, but what kind of do you consider a metrics of, of success for the show? Is it like a platform for Steve? Is it exploring television instead of movies? Good um, question. Yeah. Uh, Mark and I have always just been very, uh, we're just so glad people want to watch our stuff, man. It's <laughs> <laughs> so true. I mean, with the puffy chair, we did one of the first deals with Netflix, and people were like, you're crazy. You're going to just put your movie on the internet? And it turned out to be the best thing that we've ever done. Our goal, like Mark had said, with, you know, we just want as many people to see our stuff as possible. We're trying to reach as many people. And the platform doesn't really matter. And what's really exciting is Sunday night, we had the most amazing experience where everyone was like, what the hell are you doing making a show on Amazon? And we just sort of proved that it doesn't really matter where your show, where the bites of your show exist. When you make a great show, people will want to see it. And that's another thing that we learned when we went to Sundance with stuff is we were making these, I mean, the puffy chair cost $15,000. I mean, it was cheaper than most of the short films at Sundance at the time. And all the questions that are asked at film festivals, how do you get your movie seen? How do you do this? How do you do that? 
make make a unique piece of art that's really good and i know that's and and that's truly what is the hardest thing and especially now with the technology the only limits to your success and this is terrifying is your own creativity and execution that those are your only limits and that's terif that's terrifying you know because it's easier when you think oh people don't appreciate me i'm so brilliant but they didn't realize it you know and uh, Mark and like even just with this being on HBO, I mean this it's an incredible. I'm clearly like the best television channel in the history of TV, like two times over, you know. But um, when we're making stuff, we're just two brothers making stuff, and that's wh where we try and keep our focus and not try not to worry too much about w what's going to happen to it. Yeah, and I think just to the specifics of a of a place like HBO. We're we're actually lucky that we actually don't have to worry that much about the metrics and how we would measure it. You know, I mean, what what happens logistically is that you air, and then somewhere between fifteen to twenty percent of the people that will eventually see your show see it that night, and the rest of them are catching it either on HBO Go or they're catching it on some VOD platforms later on, or they're going to buy the DVD and binge it. So that means you have room and time to grow. Um, and as opposed to a movie, which if it doesn't really hit in the box office the first weekend, you can kind of, that'll change how many people will get to see it. That'll change how much money the company puts into it. So it's very comforting for us to just be like, they're going to find it. They're going to get to it. And, um, you know, HBO likes the show, so they'll let us make it. It's very nice. Um, just really fast, you, you guys both mentioned that you made some crappy um, projects at the very beginning when you guys were first starting out um, ahead of the puffy chair. Were there any epiphanies like as you were going into the puffy chair that you had realized in that process? I would imagine um, in particular. I'm sure there's like a few budding filmmakers out here, so maybe that would I pertinent mean the, question. The main thing uh, is we had, when I was almost 30, we were um, making about $16,000 a year collectively on the south side of Austin, Texas, and I was just losing my mind, and um, I was really ready to sort of like, you know, throw in the towel. I was like about to turn 30, and I just couldn't take it anymore. You know, I was like torturing myself and my parents, and, and uh, you know, we were trying to be the Coen brothers and failing at it, um, <laughs> and, and Mark said, you know, we're going to make a movie today, and he's always been the sort of gas pedal in our relationship, and I was like, well, we don't have film. We don't have this, that. And he said, I don't care. I'm going to the store. We're going to shoot on mom and dad's home video camera. He bought like a $3 tape. He's like, come up with something. And I, when he came back, I was like, I'm a great producer in this way, guys. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm going to the store. You be brilliant. And I'll be right back. <laughs> uh, and so he came back and I was like, um, okay, I told him this story, and this is literally how our filmmaking process works, whether he's telling me the story or I'm telling him. I was like, okay, so yesterday this thing happened to me. Um, I, t I had to re-record the answering, my greeting of my answering machine message. And he's like, uh-huh. And I was like, and um, I, I, I did it about um, 42 times, because um, after the third time you start to lose your mind, you go into a wormhole. Um, <laughs> And uh, I had a nervous breakdown, and I cried for two hours afterwards. Uh, I, like a good brother, was like, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And then I started laughing my ass <laughs> off. Yes. And then Mark said, pick up the camera and just hit record. And he got dressed in my Kelly People, um, you know, temp unif uniform. I had one outfit. Uh, and he walked in the door, and we shot one 20-minute take. 
And I talked to Mark a little bit through it, but mostly he knew what to do. I mean, he nailed it, and we cut it down to seven minutes. And it got into Sundance, and we played next to a $750,000 short film, and everyone liked our film better. (laughs) And that, you know, we made a couple of more shorts like that. We made The Intervention, and we made uh, Scrabble. And we ultimately, when we walked into the puffy chair, we were like, okay, we're so terrified to make a bad movie because we made a couple of bad, you know, like high eight features before that. And and our Mark was great at organizing this concept. He's like, okay, we suck at everything except for making short films. Like the world had told us, you are a great short filmmaker. It's like our films were being said, you know, top 10 lists each year. And, and so Mark's like, let's, let's make a feature film that's 13 short films in a row. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, okay, okay, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> and, we're like, and he was like, I think a road movie is the spine mm-hmm. of a film that has 13 short films hung on it. And that's all we did for the puffy chair. And since then, we've gotten better at intertwining plots and starting to integrate all those things we've always wanted to do. But, but we, we just do keep that core in place of me and Jay and a camera and me in front of it as, as much as we possibly can and reduce the noise of everything around it because it's, it's very difficult to, to maintain what it is you're good at when you've got all that noise of a 100-person crew around you saying, are we ready to move on? Are we ready to move on? And if I could give any advice to if there are budding filmmakers out there, you know what we always say is like, try to make as many $5 movies on the weekends with your friends as possible um, and sometimes you'll hit it right off the bat and you'll be good. It took us a long time. But when you find the one that's like decent and it usually has something to do with that last conversation you had with your friends or your, or your spouse or girlfriend or boyfriend where it was like one in the morning and you're like half drunk and like something really personal comes out and you kind of either laugh about it or really sad about it, or really connect in it, and it feels very uniquely you. That's probably where your first movie should come from. Um, and then you just start to kind of slowly expand that process from there. Um, but then one day you're going to find yourself on a set with a big crew and everybody's going to be asking you, did we get it? Can we move on? And the people pleaser in you is going to want to say, yes, we got it because you're supposed to stay on schedule and you're supposed to deliver your movie. And the truth is if you have to ask yourself for one second, whether you got it or not, you absolutely didn't get it and do not leave the set no matter what anybody says to you until you get the thing. That's right, y'all. <laughs> I think there was a question back there that was next, or who was next? Anyone? Um, I just want to say first that I think you're both great. Um, um, how was the decision made that you are mainly the actor, and what kind of roles do you play with writing with each other? I also watched all of Transparent. I think you're an excellent actor. And what makes you in front of the camera most of the time and everything, most of the stuff I've seen? Um, when I was nine and Mark was six, uh, I was strong enough to hold the gigantic VCR camera that our dad had bought. It's really true. And I was, and I had the brain intelligence to work the buttons on it. And he was the younger brother who would wait, do wait, what I say. Sexy meathead hunk. <laughs> I think well, is what you true. mean. Yeah. Uh, and that's how it started. And... I don't know what it is, but we're just like creatures of comfort. And it's very, in particular with this show, I'll, I mean, that's how we came up is like me shooting and Mark acting. Um, uh, in particular with 
togetherness since I've recently started acting, which is weird to me. It's really weird and new. Uh, you know, we were tackling such a monumental thing. I mean, to to write and direct and create and executive produce an entire season of television is an enormous undertaking, and we just felt like it was super important for us to to do the thing that we always do to you know to put our best foot forward. Um, I'm sure we'll make stuff in the future where I'll, a I'll act in it and Mark will sort of lead the sort of visual aspect of things. But, I mean, God, we're so uncomplicated. We're just two brothers crawling out of a cave just trying not to make a piece of shit. <laughs> That's really desperately what it is. It really is. Cool. Um, anyone else right here? Yeah. Hi. Um, Hi. So part of what we you talked about before is this being the golden age of television. And I think a lot of that comes both from the content of the shows, but also the format. Even with like short form shows like High Maintenance on Vimeo or ones that are made to sort of be binged all at once, like how Netflix puts them out. Are there certain formats that you guys are really excited by and might want to consider moving forward? Are there certain people out there that are telling stories in a really interesting way that you admire? The same way that when you were sort of up and coming, you look to filmmakers and you really like their work. Are there people that are telling stories in really unique ways that you're excited by? I think the thing we're, we're most excited about, what we've been talking about a lot for the last year, is there is this influx of filmmakers coming into television, a great support system in television. Um, one thing that hasn't quite worked itself out as a kink yet is that the form of TV necessitates that you almost have to put a year of your life in, into something before you know whether you get to make a season or not. If you're lucky, you sell a pitch, they hire you to write it. You write a bunch of drafts. If you're lucky, they give you the money to make the pilot. You shoot the pilot. If you're lucky, you get to make it the way you want to, you show them. And then if you're extremely lucky after a year, you get to make the show, okay? That's a fucked up process where you can really have your heart broken a lot. I understand it because it's a big financial investment. But Jay and I are really interested in this concept of independent television. Um, and what we've done over the past year or so is, is we've, we've produced a couple of series. One of them is actually going to Sundance this year. Um, and we're going to take it there and sell it like an independent film. Um, and, and what it is is it's less money up front for the creators. But us offering some younger people like we were when we made the puffy chair a chance to say, look, we've made some money in the industry now. We have some connections. Um, I'm not going to pay you a lot, but I'm going to give you a chance to go make your 10 episodes of your show exactly how you want it, and we'll go sell it later. And uh, if it goes really, really well, congratulations. But if not, at least you got to have your chance at it. And so we would like to see more of that in the TV space. I mean, I have noticed I was scouring your IMDb pages, of course, uh, today. And, uh, I know, you know, you do have a lot of producer credits. So how do you find these particular individuals um, and, and taking on these projects as producers? They just kind of come to us. I mean, it really started, it all started when Mark and I were making our first studio film, Cyrus. And at that time, our friend Brian Poyser, who was my film one partner in like, you know, 1990, God, uh, three. Uh, <laughs> And uh, he was making Lovers of Hate, uh, which went to Sundance, and uh, it was a $22,000 movie, and he called us, and we were literally driving to meet Marissa Tomei for Cyrus, and um, he said, guys, I don't know what's going on, but I need $5,000 to make this movie, and I'm not going to be able to make it. Um, and we had gotten our first paycheck, and we were like, I got $2,500, and, he, and he's like, yeah, I got $2,500, and we gave him the money, and then we... 
sort of looked at some cuts and helped him through it like we normally would, but we went a little more deep on it because we put our names on it. And then it, uh, it was the cheapest movie in competition that year and it got tons and tons of attention and it just, that's how it started. And everything that we've produced has been an extension of that. Just, uh, personal things that we feel connected to people that we feel connected to. We don't have a company. We have, uh, our friend Stephanie, who went to our sister high school in New Orleans, it's so sad, you guys. It's a cave. That's it. We don't even have offices. We s we office out of our houses so we can maximize time with our kids. It's just very, it's just a very organic influx of people in the industry that we believe in and want to help. All right, we have time for maybe one or two more questions. Um, has in the past day or two, what would be the the story that you would make your short film on right now, given that, uh, not it's to good. put you on the spot. Um, <laughs> I, I w it's, it's really good. Um, so we got on a plane, and Jay and I love flights so much because um, you, you can't communicate with others and our children can't get to us. And, 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 and so we've and been looking. Working. Yeah, you're working. We've been looking forward to this flight to, to New York together, right? We flew out uh, two days ago, or yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. It was yesterday. Feels like a long time ago <laughs> because about three hours into that flight, I woke up and I wasn't feeling so great. Um, at which point, about an hour later, I was like, oh, I'm definitely going to throw up. Oh, this is going to be really bad. And I was like, I'll wait till we get on the ground. And then we got on the ground. And then, like a wonderfully sick joke, uh, they had to reroute us. <laughs> like, you know, you know, you walk up a plane and like there's usually a bathroom right there, you know. There was a rerouting. Uh, for about, a, it felt like about 17 miles. Maybe it was only a quarter of a mile of me walking, waiting till I get to the bathroom, and and everything happened in there as you might imagined it. That wonderful Joni Mitchell song, "Both Sides Now," was really just just very prophetic in that way. Um, People walked into the bathroom. It sounded like someone was being murdered yeah. in a stall. And I walked out of my stall and I saw Jay looking at me with the same face he's been looking at me since we were seven years old, like as if I had just fallen and skinned my knee. Um, and I was like, oh, he's going to take care of me now. Um, so he went and sat me down and he's like, I'm going to carry all your luggage. You tell me what you need right now. He went and got me some Gatorade. Then the fun part is you get to get in a cab and drive along the bumpy New York City streets to your hotel. And and we met our fucking driver, and he was incredible, dude. He looked really, really gruff, and we're like, we're gonna have to tell him to like drive slowly, and he's gonna think we're like total pussies. And oh my god! <laughs> and he was a Vietnam vet who uh, had dealt with a lot of nausea because he used to have to dive um, in these rivers that had sewage in them. And and so he let me sit up front with him, and he like talked to me and laid me back, and the three of us had this like wonderful experience driving into New York together, like somehow bonding in my illness and coming up. And these are the kind of things that we haven't processed yet, but we'll be talking about this later. And when, when we say, you know, Brett and Alex need to meet somebody in season three who like ejects them out of their little shit and like tells them about Vietnam, we'll be like, remember that guy? <laughs> and that, that's the soup. Okay. Well, the show is Togetherness on HBO Sunday nights, right? Yes. Sunday right nights. It's 9.30 after Thank girls. You. <laughs> Thank you guys Thank for you, coming. Thank you, Jay and Mark yeah. Duplass.
The Close-Up from the Film Society of Lincoln Center is produced by Brian Brooks, Nick Kemp, and Michael Odemark. Our opening music is by Steelism. You can subscribe to The Close-Up on iTunes and Stitcher. The Film Society of Lincoln Center is a nonprofit arts organization based in New York City supported by individuals just like you. Founded in 1969 to celebrate American and international cinema, the Film Society presents year-round programming recognizing established and emerging filmmakers, supporting important new work, and enhancing awareness, accessibility, and understanding of the moving image. To learn more about what we do and support the Film Society by becoming a member, please visit filmlink.com, F-I-L-M-L-I-N-C.com. The Film Society of Lincoln Center. Film lives here.